electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. WeWork didn't work. It has filed for bankruptcy. Its final chapter, Chapter 11, or is it? The winners and losers of the WeWork saga and who's left holding the bag. It's Tuesday, November 7th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa. And I'm Mark Gilbert. It is official. WeWork has gone bankrupt. A globally recognized brand, a charismatic and well-known founder and Adam Newman. TV dramas, documentaries, billions made, billions lost. And now, D, it's all poised to be wiped out. It's a story that you and I both love to cover at CBC. It's really been the story of the 2010s, the class of the disruptors, right? That some of them that flew a little too close to the sun. So we're going to go through what happened, what happens next. But in the end, Mark, they tried. No amount of money could make that business model work. Holding on to long-term leases and turning them around for flexible short-term rentals, that was always a very risky proposition, made more so in an era of low interest rates and peak rental prices. But of course, it was a wild ride that many people with a lot of money and a lot of success tried to make work over and over and over again. Right. I think it's worth pointing out that the uh, that the era that they were signing all these leases, it was a lot of they 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 top ticked a lot of the uh, rental prices for for commercial real estate. And I think it's worth going back over the timeline. This was a company that had an incredible rise before it even ever went public. Yeah. So there's this great great chart we've been talking about today that shows basically the rise and fall of WeWork's valuation over the years. Um, founder Adam Newman. This wasn't his first business idea, but um, when he started it, he was selling the idea of a real estate company as a tech startup. And that began sort of in the early to mid 2010s. Gilbert, I remember covering the company in those early days, and this is not a popular opinion, but it's one that I hold with conviction. He really did an incredible job creating community and doing something novel in the space. Now, does it only work with low interest rates? In an upturn, that's a different question, but he did something that didn't exist. And I had a lot of appreciation for that. I remember going to an event in San Francisco and there was, we were created this award system and there was just a lot of energy and enthusiasm. But of course, with more money came more problems. Right. And he was, he, the, the brand he built and the actual product walking into a WeWork was a, a novel experience that sort of created something for the first time. I think the, the big question was, could that ever, in the way that he built it, be profitable or be a you know be a going concern, uh, especially when the, the macro environment changed, or be more than a real estate company? That was sort of the downfall when sort of the money went out of control and the valuation spun out of control, and it started to be valued like a software company right. when there were so many real world inputs. It was there, just really hard to make of- that case. There's lots of profitable, well-run real estate companies, right? They don't all need to be tech companies. D, you interviewed him around that time. Uh, actually, funnily enough, with Ashton Kutcher, there are always celebrities around uh, in, in 2019 at the WeWork Global Summit. Yeah, and Ashton Kutcher, he um, has sort of made this transition into a VC. But I thought what was interesting about this interview is early on, I asked myself, well, are you a WeWork investor? And he said, no. I said, okay, 
would you be? And he said, yeah, I would be. But he never was, by the way, um, for better or for worse. He was an Uber investor. He was not a WeWork investor. But this was at another one of these huge community events. This is probably at the peak. They had just received billions and billions of dollars from SoftBank. They were expanding like crazy, the epitome of growth at all costs. Um, and this was at their global summit in 2019. You mentioned this at the top, and this is something you hear often about Adam Newman. He's charming. And that was certainly the case. And he was patient and willing to have a conversation about the business model. So this was like a 20, 30-minute interview, and we spent a lot of time talking about this. I asked him what happens to the business model in a downturn when he's holding on to long-term leases and their revenue is disrupted. He answered it in a few different ways, but one answer he said that there's many companies sharing information with him. Of course, he didn't have the financials to back it up because they were still a private company. He said that there were many companies um, who have between 30 to 80% of their space with a WeWork. And he said the reason is that they're not actually a co-working space. He called WeWork a long-term solution, a community of entrepreneurs, small businesses, and large businesses all over the world. And he said that um, when Fortune 50 companies want to grow in any market, they think about WeWork. Um, so that was the proposition. And that might have been the case had the pandemic not hit. But but we fast forward. Let's go back to what happened after that. Right. And really what happened what happened, uh, you know, through the 2010s is as he grew this business and as he became sort of more of a figure and as WeWork, uh, you know, he was able to sell the preposition, proposition of WeWork is that everyone wanted a piece, right? From Benchmark to JP Morgan to most famously SoftBank, which, which gave him billions of dollars. Investors were clamoring uh, over each other to get, to get in. Um, and and Masasan in particular and SoftBank encouraged Newman to grow the company faster, growth at all costs, have bigger ideas. And in those days, you know, cash burn didn't matter, right? It was all about growth. Neither did due diligence. And there's that famous anecdote about how, you know, Adam Newman and Masasan of SoftBank took a ride in a car together. And after, you know, just a matter of minutes, Newman had a commitment for just huge amounts of money. And that's sort of the way that venture operated. Everyone wanted a piece of the hottest disruptor. And Newman did a really good job selling this company as a disruptor, as you know, he, he was talking about putting AI into the offices <laughs> before we were all talking about it. And the case, you know, ultimately that was fine. But at the end of the day, the business model just rested on real estate. Right. And that was that was the issue that eventually came home to roost. And there but, may have been no. But we should say. You keep going. We should say though that the peak valuation, especially when Masasan got involved um, in SoftBank, reached forty-seven billion dollars. And even at the time, there were some in the traditional VC world saying this is crazy. Right, and a forty-seven billion dollar valuation—that's just a couple years ago. And now it's gone bankrupt. It's going to go to a zero. And I mean, I, and I think because think of who, that, there there may have been no company more indicative of this sort of easy money era in tech, right? Than we work growth at all costs, business fundamentals don't matter. This was a company spending billions of dollars on new leases and then billions more renovating those leases and fixing them up in an in what turned out to be an uneconomical way, just to get more customers, more growth. And the way that venture capital works is that you're counting your profitability in the future. So when you're not earning anything on money in the bank because interest rates are so low, that makes the proposition of a WeWork or an Uber, or any company that's burning through money more attractive because you it requires a little bit of leap of faith, but that's what venture capital is, leap of faith thinking. But that cash flow occurs in the future and you'll eventually get that and it will be worth a lot of money. Um, so in that era though, the financials, they just 
they didn't matter. The bottom line didn't matter. It didn't have to be one until, of course, they ultimately did. And right, they, when they, got, when they filed, right around when they filed for the IPO. Exactly. Um, and that IPO filing was felt rushed. And we know that because they had to, you know, raise more money. And Newman's corporate governance issues came out there. He was ultimately, you know, pushed out, stepped down from pushed out, we should say, right, from right. the company that he created. Um, they brought in some operators. The pandemic hit, and we, many people thought that was it. Uh, but it was an interesting proposition. This is sort of what Newman spoke about in my interview with him, and he would talk about often, is that WeWork was a way, an interesting proposition for a company that wanted to save on real estate costs. They could just rent space from him. But of course, in the pandemic, there wasn't even enough of that. Right. It didn't end up going that way. You could imagine an argument that in a more flexible work from home, remote work, you know, future of future of work office space that that WeWork would have had a place there, but just didn't happen that way. Right. And then what happened was WeWork kind of dropped down after everything imploded to a $3 billion valuation in 2020. And then something funny happened just about a year later. It was able to finally go public under new leadership via SPAC at about $9 billion. And we've talked about SPACs and how they didn't have to provide any backwards looking financial information. They could make these projections that it didn't have to be rooted in anything, really. And this is really part of the second act of WeWork was the CEO that came in and took over for Adam Newman kept making these projections that were never even close to being hit. Um, and that's how they sold the company to public market investors. So that eventually led to $9 billion um, in that SPAC, but the destruction, the ultimate destruction of value, not just for the rich institutional investors or the VCs that had invested all along the way, this brought in ordinary investors and left them also holding the bag. And that's a really important point, right? Because this valuation crashes as the company tries to go public in 2019. Adam Newman's forced out the change in the macro environment, the crash in, in uh, commercial real estate, and then this SPAC, and yet still they're able to take this public, uh, you know, in 2021 and and operate it for a couple of years until today and into bankruptcy. And this feels like a story, I think, to a lot of people that really culminated with the the you know ouster of Adam Newman. But it it's continued for for years, and they were able to to pass this off onto you know public equity investors. And that's the thing about this story. One of the most interesting sides of it is that Adam Newman is has been made out to be the villain in all of this. And certainly there were some serious missteps taken by him. But it takes two hands to clap, right? A lot of the money, the billions and billions of dollars that encouraged him to grow faster, lose more, take on more, more be more ambitious, that's part of the stories. And that continued even after he left the company in bringing it to market on these really, you know, well, at least now they look very outrageous projections, right? right. Instead of, and, and I mean, the management, the new management could have tried to offload some leases, renegotiate, but they still tried to keep that kind of dream alive. They didn't rein it in. He kept talking about profitability when they right. weren't even anywhere close to it. And so what happens now is that WeWork can continue operating while working out creditor repayment terms. There's going to be a tentative restructuring deal that's going to slash $3 billion in debt and wipe out most of its current equity holders. Some of that debt is going to get converted to equity. Um, but it, it does feel like there is going to be some next chapter. And exactly if management is able to uh, you know, operate this this business in a different way, you could imagine, you could imagine this 
potentially working for somebody. Well, and who's going to be that management is I a mean, key question. I mean, that's the question. And over the these 2010s disruptors, right, um, it felt like at a certain point, VC said, we need an adult in the room now. We can't control these founders anymore, so we are going to install operators. And that's sort of what happened at WeWork, but he didn't do any better. Ultimately, if they thought they were doing that to fulfill their fiduciary duty, it didn't work out that way. And so, you know, even especially circles I'm in, there's questions being asked, you know, is a founder better to run a company than an operator because they're passionate and they, you know, understand the business, they understand what they're building. Um, so on that note, right, Adam Newman issued a statement yesterday. Um, he says, it's been challenging to watch from the sidelines. And he says the product is more relevant today than ever before. With the right strategy and team, he says, a reorganization will enable WeWork to emerge successfully. This sounds like a guy that's still thinking a lot about his company. So I want to make an analogy because I think this idea of Adam Newman returning is fascinating. And I'm going to make a comparison to something we talked about last week, and that's uh, founder Mark Zuckerberg, right? When we talked about the bear case for meta, I proposed this idea. Do you want Zuckerberg really engaged, right? Is a motivated, hungry, at work, seven days a week Zuckerberg, is that actually a bad thing or a bear case for meta investors because it means he's going to be out there coming up with new ideas, new ideas equals new spending, new costs, new hiring. And actually at Meta, would you rather have a checked out CEO? Is that better for investors? And is the same true for WeWork? Do you want the charismatic, growth-oriented CEO with big ideas right now? You know, he's the one who spent the company into its current predict predicament and set up this, you know, these business fundamentals. Or do you want a ruthless operator who comes in and has no imagination and is just like, oh, I'm going to go through these, you know, 770 leases one by one and cut the ones and renegotiate. You know what I mean? Do you need like a, a someone with with who sort of lacks the imagination but has a ton of of operating experience? Zuckerberg's an interesting analogy because you could make the argument that he has other things on his plate now. He's not trying to, you know, create the metaverse. We could also say that he listened to shareholders, right? Exactly. Meta went through a really terrible 2022. And I remember there was discussions, should he be CEO and chairman of this company? He, no one can kick him out because of the way that the dual, dual class shares work. And there was a lot of hand wringing over that. You know, you can't kick him out. He's the founder. He structured it this way, but he learned by being a public market CEO. And it feels like, in a strange way, he took in a lot of the feedback even more than other mega cap CEOs because he's the guy that started the year of efficiency. He did the most ruthless job cuts at the big in 2022 and 2023. So he was able to pivot and adjust. And you have to wonder. Um, with everything that Adam Newman has been through, would he approach WeWork in a different way? And there's still an open question. Who wanted to expand the way they did? Was it Newman and SoftBank and Masasan and you know all the other investors who right. wanted right. this thing to who be huge? Who wanted the huge? monster valuation, I, yeah. I mean, clearly I Adam Newman know. also wanted the monster valuation. Yes. That was, it was clearly all part of sort of spinning this thing into a tech company that was gonna further the consciousness of humanity. but. Yes, who actually pushed that that further? And I will say that um, you know, I said earlier that he's been made the villain of this, and, and I think that's true. But I think that also um, SoftBank and Masasan have a huge black eye after this. It has really hurt his reputation. Although you know, he tries to say that this was just a bad investment; it got away from him. I don't think the full story of 
how that relationship happened and Masa-san's involvement in all of this happened, but he has definitely taken a big L. And while we're talking about due diligence, I also just want to point out that this is a business model with no real economies of scale, right? Just like, you know, Casper mattresses or even, you know, a company like, like Instacart, they have fixed costs per unit, right? There's the building, the lease, the desks, the chairs, the people who have to work at the WeWork and staff it that increase as the business grows. You know, margins in WeWork's case actually got worse as the company grew. Um, you know, there's no escape velocity of of a, of yeah. a software business where all of a sudden, you know, mar- the, the, the marginal uh, cost starts to go down and down and down. Exactly. Um, if you were to look at the business model, you could see quite quickly that this was not a technology or a software company. It doesn't mean it's a bad company. And then, you know, I would say that it's not that the model doesn't work. It didn't work in the case of WeWork. And a lot of that was the money that was piled into renovating and operating these co-working spaces. But when you look at a much less sexy company like a Regis that has been around forever, totally. this is essentially what they do. They just don't spend a ton of money to make the spaces feel like young tech companies. I feel like for a little bit they tried to do that, but they're basically like, here's your desk, pay us each month. And they spend a lot of time thinking about the real estate business. Right. I mean, and, and you can think about other businesses. I mentioned, I just mentioned Instacart a moment ago, but or, or something, you know, a business like Amazon or Netflix that spends a ton of money and historically, you know, lights money on fire for growth. But there's there's the idea of like a, an escape velocity and a bull case in the future, right? In the case of Amazon, they run this very thin margin e-commerce business uh, in the hopes that, you know, they they grow the brand, they grow the business and they can run, you know, they create the prime memberships and now they're selling advertising. Same thing as Instacart, right? They're selling advertising. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Netflix is, is can, can we become all of TV bef- before TV becomes us? So the, yeah, it's, it's just a funny idea for WeWork. What is the, what is the escape velocity? What is, do they start selling advertising? It's like all businesses become advertising businesses in the long run. Do they start selling <laughs> yes. billboards? On the side of the, you're, you're going to rent a desk and like up above you, there's going to be an ad for, you know, for a Casper mattress or something. And then it's like it, we did this deep dive on Instacart for a weekly video and we looked at, is Instacart a tech company? No, this is our, what we concluded. The core business isn't a tech company, but it has this high margin software like business in advertising. And you look at an Amazon, which is exactly what you're pointing to. E-commerce is not a high margin business, but cloud computing, AWS is, and that pays for everything else. So who knows? I mean, new management could even be Adam Newman himself coming back in here and adding something to this to make it viable. And even just think about the opportunity that bankruptcy affords what whoever might come in and try and do something totally. with this, if there is anyone. I mean, that is the chance to renegotiate leases at a time, <laughs> break leases or renegotiate them at a time when the property market and the commercial real estate market is like yeah you could have a ton of problem. you could have a ton of leverage as someone coming in to renegotiate these leases and saying you know I'll give you you know 50 60 70 cents on the dollar on these leases and take it or leave it and if not you know we're in bankruptcy we can fine then we'll just we'll abandon this lease mm-hmm. and we're in a very different era of higher interest rates so the inputs are are very different and this might be built in a way that is perhaps more sturdy, but we will see. Any takeaways, Gilbert, from this? I think that the, the takeaway you talked about Adam Newman is really fascinating is do does Adam the, the Adam Newman charismatic CEO and founder come back and use those powers to 
you know, cut costs, renegotiate leases, and really like hammer this business model, like sort of the Zuckerberg year of efficiency. Can can that version of a founder come back? And you know, we're seeing uh, Ryan Peterson try to do that right at Flexport, or does the version of Adam Newman come back who, you know, loves to spend and private jets and throw huge, you know, we work conferences. Uh, does that version of the, of the founder CEO come back? I have maybe a lesson for the modern era, what we're seeing right now in generative AI, there's so much money being thrown around that it almost feels so frothy, like the era in which you saw WeWork reached that $47 billion valuation. And yes, these are actual software technology companies. You can't dispute that. But still, I mean, we've talked about how OpenAI and Anthropic each have, you know, uh, valuation to sales ratios higher than that of NVIDIA. So in that metric, they're more expensive than an NVIDIA. And, you know, I was at a VC dinner last night and they talked about, we talked about competition of getting in on these deals and how tough it is because the mega caps, the Google, Amazon, Microsofts are almost like the new tigers. They're the new soft banks in this market. They're, they don't, valuations can go to the moon for them because as we talked about yesterday, they get some of the benefit of that. Um, so we will see. This saga is likely not over as we've talked about. We'll continue to cover it and we'll be right back here tomorrow. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.